let's get into the word. We have two and a half chapters to cover in Samuel today. My mom said good luck, but even more good luck, that's not where we're beginning. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Peter, almost at the very end of your Bible. This is going to help us bookend this morning. It's always just trying to ground our hearts where uh, into the text, those subjects that I believe that the Lord has brought to the surface for me as I've studied in Samuel. This will help set, I think, a tone for our hearts. And it should set the tone for where Saul's heart is at the moment that we're picking up his story. These are some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible. And before I had strong passwords, this passage used to be on a lot of my passwords. So beginning in 2 Peter 1, it says, Simon Peter, bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. This is one of the 12 disciples. This is a man that you want to listen to. He knew our Lord and Savior. He walked with him. He saw him. He followed him. Saw him resurrected. Had a radical transformation. You know, Peter's this guy that always has his foot in his mouth in the pages of the Gospels. Radical transformation. His letters are powerful. All right. It's being written to those who have obtained. You've received like precious faith. Faith that has the same value as Peter's is the faith that you have today with us. Look at this, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. How? In the knowledge of God and the knowledge of Jesus, our Lord. My prayers for you is that you are passionately seeking to know your Savior all the days of your life. As... His divine power, I st I'm still really loud, Gabe, and ringing. Um, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Do you believe that? Through faith in Jesus Christ, he has given you his divine power for all things that pertain to your life and what it means to be godly, devoted to him. Through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious, costly promises, that through these you may be partakers, you may share in the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in this world through lust. Does that fire you up a little bit? The, the, again, these, this is a passage that every time I read it brings about in me courage. It dissipates fear. We just sang a song, Jesus, Jesus, it's your name. It, it dissipates fear in my soul and in my life. What I'm doing right now, this is, this is a fearful thing for me. I don't like public speaking. I don't like public attention. I'd much rather be back there with the toddlers. That's, that's my nature. I'd rather be up there in the sound booth, away from attention, serving, being an engine behind. That, that's my personality. But I'm doing what I'm doing because the Lord has directed me to do it. 
but I have to seek him continually to dissipate any fear, any timidity in my life. And these are subjects that are there, major hindrances in Saul's soul as we get back into his story. But just as we watched last week in Saul that God gave to him his Holy Spirit, he gave to Saul a new heart, he made Saul another kind of man, Samuel gives Saul three signs that are to uh, state the fact that what has occurred is true and that it's real. Those signs are performed perfectly in Saul's life. He is filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesies with the prophets and then he goes back to the hometown. Where do you think Saul should be positionally in the Lord? Do you think he should have a tremendous amount of courage and boldness in God? Yes or no? If you hear God say something and then it happens in your life, does that well up courage in you or fear in you? Courage. Then it's, oh my God, you're real. This isn't a story. You really did rise again from the dead. Your word really is alive. It really does change me. All of these costly, precious, exceedingly great promises. They're mine. Amber, we just sang, oh my soul, don't you get shy on me. You feel those lyrics? Do you feel that in you? Do you get shy on you? I get shy on me all the time. Like I said, I got fired up in worship. Oh my, don't you get shy on me, my soul. You do what the Lord's telling you to do. And yeah, if you have fear, it's okay. Did David have fear? Absolutely. But oh my soul, be still. Know your God. Trust your God. My enemies are at my gate. My enemies are knocking on my door. My sin has me grappled and changed. Don't you get shy on me, oh my soul. You go to God. You cry out to Jesus. And his name is light. His name is power. In your relationship with him, He has given to you personally everything you need to live your life to its fullest potential that we talked about last week. And all of the fullness that he has for you, he's handed it to you. You've received it. Peter tells us in verse 5, for this very reason, you, Blake, you, believer in Jesus, you give all diligence to add to your faith. And he goes through a list of those things that need to be added. Later on, he says, Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and your election sure. And let's watch how that works out in Saul's life in First Samuel, picking up in chapter 10 is where we are. And again, I want all of this emotion. I want all of these promises. I want you, I want you to sit in the, the power and the truth and the reality of who Jesus Christ is, what it is that he's done for you, who it is that he is today, all the precious promises that he's given to you for the future. You have everything that you need to bring him glory. Amen. Do you believe it? Do you feel it? And crying out in your own soul, don't you get shy on me. Because we're going to watch Saul's soul get shy. And when his soul gets shy, 
There's consequences. So all this emotion, all of these confirmations in Saul's life. Verse 17 of chapter 10. It says, Then Samuel called the people together to the, to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered, I saved, I pulled you out from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all kingdoms and from those who have oppressed you. New Testament context, we're saying God has saved us. He has pulled us out of the world from the grips of sin, from the grips of everybody else. He has delivered us from all other powers. Verse 19, but you, you have today rejected your God who himself saved you from all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourself before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans, literally by your thousands. I'm not going to get into the context of that. If you are unfamiliar or if you haven't been here for the past couple of weeks, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to get the full context of what Samuel is describing for them. Verse 20, Samuel caused all the tribes of Israel to come near. The tribe of Benjamin was chosen. So in some form, they're, they're casting lots, they're praying, and they're, they're whittling down the group to the man that God has chosen. Another confirmation, verse 21. When he caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen. And Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden in the equipment, hidden in the baggage. He's hidden in the luggage of all the groups that have come together. He's hiding. And this is, this is why that lyric, come on, my soul, don't you get shy on me. Do you think Saul has a reason to be shy right now? I, I think he does. He's intimidated. God called him appointed him, anointed him. Saul didn't raise his hand and say, I want to be king of this people. God chose him and appointed him to the task. But again, God gave him so many confirmations to bring about confidence and surety in his life. Even though he is uncomfortable, he still needs to stand in the position that God has handed to him. Do you think that the disciples were uncomfortable in the positions that Jesus placed them into in the pages of the gospel and the pages of the book of Acts that we read about? Absolutely. But I guarantee, I mean, I'm going to be saying this all morning. Come on, my soul. Don't, don't you be shy on me. We have, through the testimony of history in the pages of the Bible, through the testimony of church history, through the testimony of my own personal life, through your lives, there's all of these major victories and major actions and acts of God, his works that ought to bring about great confidence and not timidity. But as we follow Saul, this is, this is a dominant feature of his character, and it may be a feature of your character. And it's okay. It's okay to be timid. It's okay to be insecure. It's okay to be uncomfortable and fearful. But it's what you do with that emotion that determines 
the courses and actions and activities of your life and, and how it ends. I've titled today Choices. Because just as we need to be diligent to add to our faith, that comes about through choices. So we've traveled through the, the text this morning. We're going to watch this idea continually be brought up. God has called you. He's created you. He's called you. He's saved you. He's drawn you to himself. And in that relationship, he has given you the freedom and the power to say yes or no to him. He does not force you to say yes. It's your choice. Think, think of how much power you have every day in the decisions that you make. Statistics, 35,000 decisions are made in our lives every single day. How many decisions have you made just to get yourself in the door today? A lot of the decisions we make have no consequence whatsoever, but we, I guarantee to you, we make hundreds of decisions daily yes or no in our relationship with God. And if we, real, if we were exposed to all of those, I think that we would be shocked. But here is Saul hiding from his calling, hiding from his anointing, hiding from the people, timid, insecure. We're going to learn throughout this his... You know, rather than trusting in the Lord, he presses into himself, and that just breeds incompetence in his life. Verse 23, there he is. So they ran, and they brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. Big dude. And Samuel said to all the people, do you see whom the Lord has chosen? And the word for see, it's not just visual. Do you understand who the Lord has chosen. Do you see him? Do you understand him? Do you acknowledge this? You asked for a king. Here's the man. Understand, this is the man that God has chosen to be king, that there is no one like him among all the people. So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Literally, may the king live. Good subjects already. Verse 25, then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty. That's in um, chapter 8, all that description. But he writes down the behavior of royalty, writes it in a book, and lays it up before the Lord. You can literally sit and uh, Samuel is writing out a constitution, essentially. Here's a governing document for the king of Israel that Samuel writes out. Here's the behavior, here's the authority that he has, and he writes it down and he lays it up before God. Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house, and Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels, worthless men, literally sons of Belial, said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Now you sit in this, and with the rebels and the wicked men, if you see your leader, this newly appointed king, you can see that you're impressed by his physical stature and the way that he looks. But if your memory is sharp and you're thinking about immediate context, the guy that was just appointed king was hiding in the baggage. Do you want the guy that's hiding in the baggage to lead you out to war? That's, what the kings, that's why they want a king, to take him out to war and to bring him back. 
safety, central government. This is why they want a king. So I'm not, I don't have any stones to throw at these worthless men from that perspective saying, by what Saul just did in his behavior, that's not the guy that I want to be my king. But here's the issue. Who appointed Saul as king? Did the people vote him in or did God appoint him? So these men are called worthless. They're called rebels because they are immediately kicking against God's decision. I asked for a king. That's not the king that I asked for is their attitude. So again, they're not in disobedience to Saul. They're in disobedience to God. But this group of valiant men, it says, whose hearts God had touched, literally God made some kind of contact in these men. I I love this phrase, that there are some times when God touches your heart softly. There's, There's a nudge. There's a thought. There's an idea. There's a movement. God has touched you in some fashion. And other times, you know, you feel like you just got shoved, right? And you didn't get a touch in the heart. You got touched in the back with a stick and God's saying, go! And you're saying, okay! Anybody else or just me? I, I just, I love this phrase and we use it all the time, but just, you know, God can be very tender with us. He can be very, his hand can be very heavy on us when he is making sure that we're not doing this and we are doing that. But I just, I love this phrase. So here's this group of valiant men, Lord, the men that the Lord wants around Saul, his counselors, his military leaders. God is touching their hearts out of this group that is gathered together, and they go home with Saul. How does Saul feed all these guys? I don't have a clue, and the text doesn't tell us. Chapter 11. Then Nahash, everybody say boo. I'm just making sure you're all awake because I'm awake. I had too much coffee, right? Guess what his name means? It means snake. So I'm picturing some biker dude, you know, all tatted up. Here's Snake the Ammonite has just shown up on the scene. And he comes up and he encamps. He lays siege against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So Jabesh Gilead is on the east side of the Jordan River. So Jerusalem's on the west side towards, towards the coast of the Mediterranean. So on the east side of the Jordan River, you have the tribe of Reuben in the south, Gad in the middle, and Manasseh to the north. And Jabesh Gilead is right there in the middle. So they're, they're far away from Saul. You know, they're on the other side of the Jordan. And here, this again, area of the Ammonites and all the history, we're not going to get into that because we don't have time, but... He is laying siege, and the people of Jabesh Gilead, they know that they are, they'll be defeated. They're asking for a covenant to be made. Verse 2, Nahash the Ammonite answers and says, On this condition, I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out, literally, that I may dig out all your right eyes and bring reproach, bring shame on all Israel. Would you be afraid? I would be. The purpose of this is to incapacitate the men for war. Because if you cut out their right eye, their shield is covering their left eye, you're looking 
you know, around your shield with your left eye. You're incapacitating them from being quality soldiers, but they can still work the land so that you can get your tribute from them. For whatever reason, Jabesh Gilead has ticked off the snake, and the snake is coming in anger and in flesh and in all this worldliness. And all right, I'll make a covenant with you, but I'm going to dig out all of the men's right eyes. Verse 3 says, The elders of Jabesh said to him, Take it easy, hold off for seven days. Because we want to send some messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. And I just, why would he say, okay? Commentators say one, one thought is that, you know, in this guy's pride, he thinks that if any other children of Israel come to, to fight to attempt to save them, they will easily be defeated, and it increases the booty of war. So I'm going to get more stuff if more people are here, is one attitude. And then the other attitude is that he doesn't believe that any of the children of Israel are going to come to their aid. Go ahead and ask. Nobody's going to come to your aid. You're in the middle of nowhere. They're not going to come help you. Verse 4, so the messengers came from Gibeah, or to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. I bet they did. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. Saul's out there with the cows. Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Verse 6, then... The Spirit of God came upon Saul. Spirit of God's coming upon Saul in power. Spirit of God's coming upon Saul in passion. Spirit of God is coming upon Saul and giving, giving him purpose and direction. When he heard this news, it says his anger, his passion was greatly aroused. Literally, I mean, just watch his skin turn red in rage is the emotions that the words are conveying. So he takes the yoke of oxen, he cuts them in pieces and sends them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. Now, is that a good leader? The consequence of his action turns out well. The end is good. But the, do the means justify the end? And so I just wanna, I want you to pause and think about his leadership. If you don't do what I tell you to do, I'm going to come kill your cows. And in that emotion, ultimately it's the Lord that is stirring in the hearts of the people that bring them. But do you hear that kind of attitude coming out of pulpits, coming out of different churches, government leaders? If you don't do this, here's the consequence in your life. If you don't give, God's not going to get glorified. If you don't serve, you know, the children are all going to go to hell. It's, it's, this, it's this manipulation of the heart because people, all of us, respond toward, with self-protection. I need to protect my stuff. If I don't do what Saul tells me to do, he's going to come and he's going to take apart my car. Right? He's going to destroy, he's going to crush my car if I do, don't do what my government official tells me to do. So therefore, I'm going to do it to avoid the consequence rather than a good leader, a biblical leader, is going to tell the people, 
if we don't stand, if we don't go, our brothers and our sisters are going to suffer. If we don't go to their aid, who will? And the answer here would be no one. They should be motivated by love for their neighbor, motivated by love for their brothers and sisters in the Lord, for their tribesmen, for their clansmen. If we don't go, the men are going to have their right eyes dug out. Who will go with me? Totally different leadership, right? And then in trusting of the Lord, it doesn't matter if 300,000 show up or 30 show up. Because in the Lord... We sang it earlier, the battle belongs to the Lord. The victory is his. He is the one who overcomes. Nobody will overcome him. So even if we show up with 300,000 and the Lord is against us, we're going to lose. But if we show up with 30, we'll win. So again, it's, it's, all, it's always about the motivation, what, what stirs you. And that's why we began in Second Peter this morning, his promises his nature, his character, what he has done for you already, that ought to be the motivator in your life. Him and him alone. And then your love for other people. That ought to be the second motivator. The last motivator ought to be your own personal needs and your own personal desires that we are told to die to ourselves, lay these aside, take up your cross, take up your daily death, follow the Lord, do what he directs you to do. But in our fleshly world, it's, it's upside down, right? We always think about us first. How does this impact me? How does this impact my calendar? How does this impact my pocketbook is what we think about first. And it needs to be the exact opposite, which is what God does. He turns our lives right side up. All right, we're in the middle of verse, I don't know, seven. The fear, the trembling of the Lord fell on all the people. And again, I don't think that that's because of Saul's motivation. Um, I really think it's just an act of the Spirit of God. They came out with one consent as one man, literally. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. You shall have salvation. The messengers came and reported to the, it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. I bet they were. So in verse 10, they send men of Jabesh. They go and send out to Nahash, the snake. Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. You know, they're, they're setting them off a little bit. We're going to come. You can gouge out our high eyes tomorrow. They don't know that here come 11 tribes. All right. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. together. Major defeat. Then the people said to Samuel, remember those sons of Belial? Remember those rebels, those worthless men? Who is he who said... Shall Saul reign over us? Bring them in that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day. 
For today the Lord has accomplished, the Lord has made salvation in Israel. We focused on this word for a couple of years as we were in Acts talking about poema, his workmanship. It's the exact same word in the Hebrew. Here's, here is it what God works. Here's what he produces. Here's what he makes. He has made salvation in Israel. Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. Again, this is, this is good for, for Samuel. Samuel's in that position where he anointed uh, Saul privately with oil in that moment. God confirms the signs, gathers the nations together. Saul is timid and hiding in that moment. There's people who are rejecting him as leader. Now there's been a successful battle. Saul is doing what he's supposed to do as king for the people. So Samuel and his leadership, let's go, let's go renew and restore this covenant and this relationship with Saul as king and give the rebels a chance to repent and accept Saul as king is what Samuel is doing. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings, these fellowship offerings to the Lord, the fellowship that they're having together. They're doing all this before the Lord in his presence. And there Saul and all the men of Israel, they are rejoicing greatly. I, I, I lock into, you know, like kind of like a Viking mentality in the movies. You could just tell there's a whole bunch of raucous behavior. I'm sure that the wine is freely flowing. Um, but they are celebrating. They're eating. They're feasting. Everybody's in a good mood. They're laughing. They're clapping each other on the backs. They're talking about their little war stories that they went through and all its gruesome nature. You know, they're rejoicing in the Lord. All of that's emotion. You got it in your mind? So it's in the midst of this that Samuel stands up and says to all Israel. And again, imagine, imagine this scene of all this, you know, all this rejoicing that's going on. Samuel stands up, kind of tinks the glass, right? Everybody quiets down, but they still all have their beverages in their hand. I just, I just want you to picture this. Indeed, I have heeded your voice and all that you said to me and have made a king over you. And now... Here is the king walking before you. And I can, you can see it in the crowd. Everybody, hey! You know, because they're all celebrating, right? Do you feel it? I mean, this is how I'm imagining this scene. And they all quiet down again. Samuel says, I'm old and gray-headed. And look, my sons are with you. I have no idea why he's pointing out his sons, because his sons weren't good. They were taking bribes. I've walked before you from my childhood to this day. Here I am. Witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Or whose donkey have I taken? Or whom have I cheated? Whom have I have oppressed? Or from whom have I received any bribe with which to blind my eyes? I will restore to you. I'll repent. I'll turn back. And they said, you have not cheated us or oppressed us nor have you taken anything from any man's hand. Then he said to them, the Lord is witness against you 
And his anointed is witnessed this day. So his anointed is literally Saul. He's been anointed with oil. This is a, another title for the king, the anointed one. This is the title for Messiah in the Hebrew, Christ in the Greek. So yes, this is a direct reference to Saul in the presence. You know, you, uh, what you were saying is in the presence of the Almighty God. It's in the presence of his king. But ultimately, clearly, we have the New Testament context that this is in the presence of the King Jesus, the true anointed one, that you have not found anything in my hand. And they answered, he is witness. And Samuel said to the people, he's going to recount 800 years of history in just a few sentences here. It is the Lord who made, who raised up Moses and Aaron and who brought your fathers up from the land of Egypt now, therefore, stand still that I may reason. Literally, it's that I may judge. Do, he's fulfilling this office of judge in their presence, in, this, in their midst. That I may judge with you before the Lord concerning all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. When Jacob had gone into Egypt and your fathers cried out to the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron who brought your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. And when they forgot the Lord their God, he sold them, literally, he betrayed them. So in that act of Judas betraying Jesus, selling Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, that, you know, that, that imagery is what you need to feel in what God has done to his people because of their disobedience. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, commander of the army of Hazor, into the hand of the Philistines, and into the hand of the king of Moab, and they fought against them. Then they cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and Ashtoreths. But now deliver us, save us from the hand of our enemies, and we will serve you. And the Lord sent Jerubbaal, which is Gideon, Bedan, Jephthah, and Samuel. All of this is in the book of Judges. And delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you dwelt in safety. Literally, you dwelt in confidence. And this gets back to the, you know, don't you get shy on me, O oh my soul. Right? You dwell in the Lord in confidence in your daily life. You were dwelling in the land in safety and confidence. And when you saw that Nahash, the snake, king of the Ammonites, came against you, you said to me, no, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was king. Again, this is this, what Samuel's saying right now. He gives us a little bit of context of why they asked for a king at this time. Whoever Nahash was, whatever it was that he was doing, they weren't looking for Samuel or Samuel's sons to deliver them. They wanted a king like all the other nations. So it's this circumstance that is bringing up this emotion and this cry and their rejection of God, who was their king, to look to a man. Verse 13, now therefore, here is the king whom you have chosen and whom you have desired. And take note. The Lord has set a king over you. 
Again, in, the, in this picture, yes, they're rejecting the Lord, but the Lord is still sovereign. He's still in control. He's still the one that is fighting. He's still the one that's bringing about victory. He is the one who is still truly king. The king Saul and future David and all the others, they are to image, they are to reflect the almighty God as king to the people in that position that God is granting to them. So the people have asked this is the one that they've asked for. This is the one they've chosen. The Lord has chosen. The Lord has provided. You know, all of these ideas are going hand in hand. But now verse 14. If you fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and do not rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then both you and the king who reigns over you will continue following the Lord your God. However... If you do not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandments of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you as it was against your fathers. Now, therefore, stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Is today not the wheat harvest? So this is May, June in, in the calendar. Um, and he says, on the call on the Lord, and he will send thunder and rain that you may perceive and see that your wickedness is great and, that, and which you have done in the sight of the Lord and asking for a king for yourselves. So again, this is going to be a miracle. It does not rain during this time. Um, so it's in the mil middle of the wheat harvest. If, any, if you know anything about crops and you're harvesting, you don't want to get wet. It's going to get rotten. It's going to get moldy. So this, this is not a good thing to occur. And God sends this thunder and this rain so that, well, there's verse 18. So Samuel called on the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. So again, recounting to them history, how they got to where they are, and then this encouragement that, uh, you know, to continue walking with the Lord and not to turn to the historical behavior of themselves and their fathers, or the same consequences are going to come regardless if they have a man as king or not. Verse 19, the people are responding to Samuel, says, pray for your servants to the Lord, your God, that we may not die, for we have added to all, all our sins the evil of asking a king for ourselves. We're going to get back to this idea. When we were in Peter, we were told to add to our faith, right? We're not told to add to our sins. So again, there's a contrast that we'll come back to in a moment. Verse, verse 20. And Samuel said to the people, do not fear. You have done all this wickedness. Last week, I ended with the comment to own your stupid. Own your sin. Own your wickedness. You have done all of your historical bad behavior. You've done it. It's real. It was there. And we stand in the grace and the mercy and the peace and the power of our God to remove all of that past from us, to keep us clean for today, to keep us clean for our days in this life, and to renew us in his image for all eternity. That is his great and precious promise for all of us, yes? 
But when you think about your past, when they're sitting in their emotion, God just did a miraculous sign. They are fearful. They are trembling. Samuel is telling them not to be afraid of their creator and their God. And I'm telling you not to be afraid of your savior, of your creator, of your father, of your teacher, of your master. You have done a lot of wickedness in your life. And you still will do stupid in your life, unfortunately, and so will I. But here, the encouragement is do not turn aside from following the Lord. There is one right way. There is one right path, and it's following him. Even though we've done all of this, don't turn aside now. Come on, my soul. Don't you get shy on me. Don't turn aside from following the Lord but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And do not turn aside, for then you would go after empty things, worthlessness, which cannot profit or deliver, for they are nothing. And think of what Samuel is saying to the people. You know what worthlessness is all about. You know the emptiness of the things that you've pursued. You've seen in your own life the consequences of worshiping the Baals and the asterisks. You're sitting right now in the consequence of your relationship and that separation with God by demanding God to give you a man to be your sovereign rather than God himself. You've seen the emptiness. Don't keep turning aside. Don't keep testing what's out there. Keep following the Lord down the straight and narrow path that he sets before us and illuminates every single day. For the Lord will not forsake his people. What a great promise. He will, you, can, you have the power to say no and to walk away. God promises that he won't say no to you. No matter how ugly you feel, no matter how dirty you feel, no matter how sick of you you are, no matter how other people are treating you, no matter how alone you feel, depressed you feel, despondent you feel, what does God say to you? I will not abandon you. What a promise. Why? Because you deserve it? No. For his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you his people. I, 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 what, a, what a powerful thought. That here is this eternal being who has made us solely because it gives him pleasure that he loves you, that that, that that attribute, that aspect of his character of loving you, it's something that pleases him. Does it please you to love your spouse, to love your kids, to love your parents, to love your friends? It brings about a lot of joy, doesn't it, when you, when you have that true emotion of love and safety and security with another human being? But again, that's an that's a, that's a image of God stamped into our souls that it's his attribute of love. It's something that causes him pleasure. Wonderful, wonderful thought. Moreover, as for me, far be it from me 
that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way, the straight way. Only fear the Lord. And this is awe, this is reverence, this is respect, honor, all that that means. And serve him in truth with all your heart. And this is, this is the major point that he is getting to. I want you to consider all the great things that he has done for you. He ran through 800 years of their history really quick. But he's telling the people, you make the choice. God has given you the power to make the choice. But before you make a choice, before you make your 35,000 decisions tomorrow, make the choice when you get out of bed who your God is. Does this make sense? I want, you, I want you to think about who God is as creator. What, what, what does it mean that he spoke the creation into existence? I want you to consider what it means that he created man, male and female, in his image. You're not an animal. You are not something that has evolved from goo to the zoo to you, as they say. You were created specifically to bring pleasure to the one who has always been, the one who is right here, right now, the one who will always be, who has given you that precious promise. If you come to me in humility and faith in my son, I will allow you, I will give you the gift of my image for all eternity. Consider all of the great things God has done for you. Do you have any inkling of what God has protected you from in your life? Even though you may have had some really hard things occur to you, through you, do you have the smallest glimmer of what he has prevented from happening in your life? I want you to consider how protected you are by your father. I want you to consider how loved you are, how treasured you are, how valuable you are. I want you to consider all those different ways that you've missed, that you've failed. I want you to consider your fear and your timidity and your insecurities. I want you to consider your, your depression, your I can't, your I can't believe moments. I want you to consider your whys and your hows and all your questions. But in all of that questioning and all of that consideration, don't have those emotions and those thoughts independent of who he has manifested himself to be in power in truth. That's why I said, like, worship this morning. Come on, my soul. Come on, Blake. You have no reason to be shy. Blake, you have no reason to hide in the baggage. Blake, you do what you know God has told you to do. Blake, he has given to you specific, precious, costly, valuable promises, not for my name's sake, but for his name's sake. And it's not, oh, woe is me. This is what I have to do for Jesus. It's come on, my soul, let's go. 
I mean, I, I feel Saul in that moment. Do you get red in rage and righteous indignation on things that you watch occur in your life or in the lives that you love or in the lives of your culture? I get red-faced rage. I'm a redhead, and I have right to it, right? Well, when I had hair. But in that, but in that moment, I, again, I, I know the word of God that the anger of man does not bring about the righteousness of God. My anger is not going to bring about his righteousness in your life. But teaching you the way that you should go, teaching you about the straight way, proclaiming his word in truth and in power, which is all sourced from him, not promoting my name, not promoting your name, not, not lifting up and exalting any other. May your soul consider your creator in every decision you have the power to make for all eternity. And I guarantee 100% when you choose Jesus, Regardless of what is going on out here, in here, the heart, the heart is satisfied, the heart is still, the heart is rejoicing, the heart is confident, the heart is hopeful, and it all revolves around, I get, it, I get to see my creator work. I get to see him work in Moses in the pages here. I get to see him work in the Samuels. I get to see him work in the Saul's. That is Saul's last good, glorious moment. And it's not that glorious and it's not that good because we already watch him operate in his character. The next few chapters, we watch them slide essentially into insanity where the Holy Spirit is removed from him and God hands to him a distressing spirit because Saul made bad choices. Heavy, isn't it? The power that you have to destroy yourself is your choice. The power that you have to allow your creator to save you in his grace, in his power, in his pleasure is your choice. Choose wisely. Heavenly Father, we love you tremendously. And I, I am, Lord, I am overwhelmed by the power and the authority that you have given to me. There is a certain astonishment in my soul that you give me the freedom to say no to you. That, that causes me fear and that causes me trembling. Because that's the last thing I want to do, Lord. And that's the last thing that I want to witness in another soul's life are those moments when they say no to you. But what a thrill it is, Lord, that you've given me the power to say yes. And I yearn to say yes before I even know what the question or the command is. 
I offer myself to you as that living sacrifice. Here I am, Lord, fully exposed. Here's my mind, here's my heart, here's my hands, here's my mouth. You and you alone are my God. You and you alone have saved me and have cleansed me. I ask that you continually wash me and keep me clean and pure in my relationship with you. And Lord, all the works that you direct me to do, I do them for your namesake, for your glory, with joy, Lord. You really are wonderful. Lord, in this moment right now, may you give our souls the boldness not to be shy, but to enter into your presence intentionally with gratitude and thanksgiving and power and praise that you deserve. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.